Welcome to the Marketing That Generates podcast hosted by yours truly, Lauren Powell. For over a decade, I've partnered with business owners around the globe to create and implement their digital marketing strategy. Working together with their teams, we generate more leads, more customers, and more revenue. I'm here to make your business growth simpler by making online marketing simpler. Every week, I'll be interviewing other business owners about the strategies that are keeping their marketing relevant in the long term, so they're not hammered by monthly algorithm adjustments. So are you ready to generate more leads, better leads, and more sales-ready leads online while making the most of your oh-so-valuable time? Then this is the podcast for you. Are you tired of being promised the magic pill that's going to solve all your online marketing challenges? Well, this podcast does not promise quick overnight fixes, nor a one-size-fits-all marketing formula. Instead, it will empower you to think differently and more strategically about your marketing so that you get better results. So whether you're a business owner, solopreneur, or an aspiring entrepreneur, listen in and subscribe for zero fluff and actionable takeaways. And for bonus resources, go to marketingthatgenerates.com. In our current podcast series, I interview the owners of four very different email marketing businesses, and we dive deep into their marketing. Today's episode is the first of this series, and I interview Jason Resnick of Nurture Kit, who's based in New York. Jason is a longtime business buddy of mine and an absolutely brilliant email marketer. I've learned so much from him and really wanted to share his genius with you on this podcast. His approach to email marketing is unique and really designed to help you generate more revenue from this channel. And in fact, he makes a bold promise to double your revenue from email marketing in just 90 days. Talk about some stellar ROI. In this episode, Jason shares the ins and outs of segmentation, personalization, his unique salesperson campaign, email migrations, and more. Plus, you'll hear about his decade-plus journey as a business owner and all the lessons he's learned along the way. And don't forget to visit the show notes to grab all the links from this episode because Jason is, in fact, very generously gifting our listeners a plug-and-play salesperson campaign. Jason, I'm super pumped to have you here today. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to dive into this, Lauren. You know how I am with email. I do, and I... Um, equally as excited about email as you. And, you know, I just want to talk about the power of email marketing to increase their revenue. You have a pretty bold promise in your intro, doubling revenue in 90 days using email. And so I'd just love to hear from you why, in your opinion and your experience, email is such a powerful sales conversion tool. Yeah, I mean, it's plain and simple, right? Email has been here for 50 plus years. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And even the hardline statistics, if you look at email ROI, it just far in a way exceeds any other channel. And there's a reason why, and it's because the inbox in and of itself is a private place, for lack of a better term, right? Like there's no ads in there. There's no distractions for um, kitten gifs or gifs, depending on how you have it, right? I mean, there's nothing else going on other than the inbox. And so when you get an email in there, whatever that conversion is, whether it's revenue, whether it's your latest podcast, whether it is, you know, just, hey, hit reply, that's what they're there to do. Like their mind is focused in on that action. And so that's why at a, a very high level, the conversions happen through email. Now, we could talk totally about the relationship and the messaging and the deepened uh, connection that you have with the individuals as a business to the people that are on your, your list. But yeah, I mean, bottom line, that's why the ROI is there. I mean, it's, I think it's something like $42 for every dollar spent on email marketing, you know, is the return. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I double down on it. Yeah, I think that's an insane stat. Like <laughs> someone who helps people decide which marketing levers are they going to pull. I think if you're not yet pulling email as a lever or you're maybe not pulling it hard enough, there's so much opportunity to have a big impact on your bottom line without as much effort as other channels. Like so often I hear people focus, in my opinion, far too heavily on social without also thinking about what is my email strategy that goes alongside my social strategy. 
Yeah. And I mean, I'm at fault with that at sometimes too. And I'm like, you know what, instead of posting on Twitter, I should actually be building a campaign. Right. I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's, it's two things. I look at it this way, right? Social is definitely an awareness play for a business, right? Like you're putting yourself out there. You're hoping to find new people, new eyeballs and engage with people at a public level. Now, email is further down. It's the middle, the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, there are top of funnel kind of lead magnet type stuff going on. But ultimately, email, if it's interesting enough on social for somebody to give you the email address, then you want to actually start driving them towards what it is that your goals are for the business, whether that is a purchase, whether that's a booking a call, you know, joining your membership, whatever the case may be. Email is where all of that happens. So it's definitely more down funnel. And a lot of people, it, it's, it's unsexy. And like totally. nobody, nobody <laughs> likes to work in email automation and write emails. And it's harder than just putting out a tweet of something that's going to disappear in eight seconds. So, you know, that's why, that's why I think a lot of people focus on social because it seems like it's a productive thing because you get that instant feedback, whether it's crickets or, or a viral tweet. But at the same time, email marketing, you have to put some effort and thought into it and really think about the journey of that subscriber that you have. And, you know, it's in the weeds of things and, you know, not everybody's going to see it. So it's not as like, you know, it's not as, as glamorous, I guess, as a viral tweet. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing, which is, you know, if your social feed has not been updated in a long time, a lot of people publicly see that where not many people are going to see if you haven't sent an email in a week or in four weeks besides your subscribers, but there's no like public forum that knows oh, Lauren hasn't sent an email. So I think there's maybe also this feeling of public pressure or public shame a little bit too. That's like, oh, I better keep my feet up to date, you know? Yeah. And and it is like, I guess that's, you know, it's kind of like the cool kid crowd, right? Like you definitely want to be top of mind on the feeds, but at the same time, like we're in business to make money. I mean, otherwise you don't have a business you know, obviously to help people and things of that nature, but ultimately a business is centered around making money. And what happens with social is if you actually take a look at it, you can build the relationships on social, the connections, the, you know, the DMs and everything else with individuals and grow your network on social, but you're not going to be able to put your, you know, on any platform, you can't put your link on to a post and not have that algorithm suppress that post. Like they don't, they want yeah. you to stay there. Right? <laughs> they want you to engage on there. They're not, if you try to get somebody off, and that's why even the ROI is even probably less now than it was three, four, five years ago on social. And it was even minuscule at that time. So that's why, you know, I, I always say, Hey, if you can spend really focused intentional time on social to drive people to your email, that's worth the time and investment in on social. Yes. Yes. I think that's a really smart way of looking at it. And for anyone who's listening right now to think, okay, where does social fit in my marketing strategy? And where does email fit in my marketing strategy? So Jason, I have a couple questions for you specifically about your approach to email marketing. You mentioned that you're not a proponent of using it as a blunt tool to send everyone the same message. So can you share a little more about that? Yeah. So when email marketing started, it was just basically broadcast. Like there was no sort of, there was no no idea of a segmentation strategy or individual campaigns based off of, you know, interests or anything like that. And it was, it was a blunt tool. It was like, if I've got 5,000 people on my list, all 5,000 people are going to get the same message and just literally beat them over the head until submission, right? Like that, that's the way it was. What I found, and I came, I come from a developer background, programming lines of code in the weeds, but definitely more towards the e-commerce side of things. And when I see e-commerce, it's really just taking a transaction online. And when I started my business or rather pivoted my business, 
a lot of my clients, because email was a part of their strategy, wanted to really be smarter about it and tie in things like, hey, if they bought product A, we know in email that they bought product A. Uh, I don't want to show product A anymore on my site to them because they bought it already. And that was the genesis of what NurtureKit is today. It's where you're t- learning about the individuals on the list and what they what they interact with, what they purchased, what they've shown interest in, and then tailoring campaigns based off of that. And I call it a salesperson campaign, but really what that is, is it's just, hey, you're sending your weekly newsletter. And if you're mentioning your service or your product in there, keeping track of that click, right? If they click on a link that goes to a critical page in your funnel, whether that's a blog post that leads to your sales page or directly to your sales page, let's track that. If they click another one, let's say next week, then they're really showing some interest. You know, obviously if the conversion isn't happening, let's just leave aside the, your, the problems that might exist on the page itself. But that individual is actually showing interest and they're raising their hand to say, Hey, I'm, I want to know a little bit more about this. And so what you do then do is take them out of your regular scheduled broadcast and into a specific campaign to sell them on what they're interested in. So that could be booking a call. That could be a, even a $25 product or a high ticket, you know, program, whatever the case may be. But then you are allowing them to drive the ship with you. And that just makes it a lot more conducive to conversions because they know that they're interested. They now know that you know they're interested. So let's just dive a little deeper into the sales process and what isn't on the sales page that is allowing them to move forward with a buying decision, whether that's a yes or a no. Okay. I wish you could see how much I'm nodding my head over here as I'm listening <laughs> to you speak. So for anyone who's listening and feels like, hey, this sounds really complicated from a tech standpoint, I just want to give you a metaphor. You probably click on specific things online all the time and then ads follow you around the internet offering you a coupon or offering you a, hey, did you forget this? Or offering you some way to take the next step. And this is really just the email version of that. And when you think about email converting at such a high rate, it's only natural that you would mimic that same journey on email. And I just think it's such a smart approach to automated campaigns and segmented campaigns that really allow the prospective buyer to dictate what they're interested in versus you telling them what they're interested in by taking that mass broadcast approach. Yeah. And and look, Amazon's been doing it for years, right? You add something to the cart, you're going to get a follow-up email until you do something with that cart. I'm like, I mean, it's insane at the, this point, but it is. It's really just a proactive approach. And I call it a salesperson campaign for this specific reason. And the idea of a salesperson is cringy to a lot of people. And it was to me until I actually saw this definition. And this definition of a salesperson was the ambassador of your company to the outside world. And it's their job to basically help the individuals of the outside world understand how the company can help. And that's it. That's their total job description. And so what this salesperson campaign is designed to do is to go deeper than what is on the sales page. And so out of the gate, it's really just, hey, opening the line of communication so that they know that they can reply with a question or some thoughts that they have or feedback that they have before they actually want to buy. Or it's showing if you know who the individual is from the perspective of personalization, you might be able to be position testimonials and stories and examples of customers that look just like that individual in that salesperson campaign. And so you're just really just walking them through because the concrete example is is if I'm in Best Buy and I'm looking at the wall of TVs, there's going to be a price card underneath each TV with the features and things of that nature. But there's going to be a salesperson to walk up to me and ask me some pointed questions about where I'm putting the TV, right? Do I have a studio apartment? 
Do I have a media room in you know a five bedroom house? Right. All of these kind of personalized things aren't going to be displayed on that price card. So this salesperson campaign can be that individual in your in your subscribers' inboxes and help them nurture and make that buying decision for them. I love that analogy. I think so often when you're the business owner, you're working in the business, it's easy to think that all the questions are have already been answered and then some on sales pages or emails. But when you're the prospect, there's often a lot of personalized nuance for you before you're ready to make an informed decision, whether it's yes or no. And so thinking about the salesperson campaign really makes a lot of sense, which is this is my brand ambassador who's going to help the prospect understand everything they need to know before they can make a buying decision. And I just really love that analogy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just something, you know, <laughs> I looked at it from the perspective of well, how can this be better than just, Hey, you added this thing to your cart, right? Like, I, and I, I, my clients, my own business, I don't have products that you would add to the cart and ship out to somebody, right? So it's like, how do I make this more human in a way where this person's interested and yet something is stopping them? So I'm not communicating clearly enough on whatever page that they're looking at for them to take the step forward or stop being interested in it. Right? Like, So if they want to know something, let me answer that question for them. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction is it's a humanized approach at scale, meaning while it sounds and feels like a human is talking to you in the salesperson campaign, the business isn't having to individually send out these emails or identify who's qualified for a salesperson campaign. You're implementing it in a way that it's just happening in the background. Yeah, absolutely. And you can do it in so many different ways, but it, at least the qualification side of it is, is that at least they're showing interest, right? They're showing some interest at some level. And then you could further qualify, like if it's a high end program or, you know, a service that you're providing, you could further qualify them later, but at least you're getting the, you know, you're not broadcasting to everyone at that time, but they're raising their hands and taking the initiative to walk through the door there. I love that. So let's say, Jason, someone's listening and they're wondering, like, what are the different services Jason offers? How can he help me implement some of this? Um, what might you share with them? Sure. Um, so I have a couple of different services. I mainly work on ConvertKit, Drip, and Active Campaign, but I consult for email marketing. So one of the services that I do offer, which definitely aligns with the creator type space. Those people that are selling digital products and, and coaching programs and thing and membership sites, the book a day service, which I offer, which is you hiring me for the day to basically go inside of your convert kit or drip account and build out what you need to do your launch, do your pre-sale, do your Black Friday campaign, do whatever it is that you need done, but in a way that's going to save you a boatload of time. So concrete example of this and a classic, you know, I would say probably about a quarter of the people that hire me for that service is that they manually broadcasted out their launch and their programs or their courses and things like that a couple of times and they're like, Oh, this is just a headache. Like it takes so much time to load up these broadcasts. And then I'm not, then I got to figure out how to pull people out of this because they bought it and things like that. Instead, let's just build out the, the automation to do that. And then all you have to do is just apply a tag and then watch the sales roll in for the week. And you don't have to worry about the timing of the emails and things of that nature. So that's one service. The other service is definitely bespoke and it's pro project. And, you know, game plan out your subscriber flow and all the way from the lead magnet down to becoming a repeat customer. So, you know, obviously those range in price, but it's, it's one that I take on a select few clients at any given time because it is a ton of work <laughs> to learn about somebody's <laughs> audience and such. And I know that you know that. So those are really the two big ways in which I offer my services. I love both of those options because sometimes there is just a 
quick and dirty campaign that you need help with and you need help with quickly or you want it done quickly so you can move on to the next piece. So the uh, book a day, I think, is just so brilliant for that. And even maybe as a starting point before someone's ready for bespoke, they could book a few days and you could get your kind of hands and brain and eyes and ears in the account and really start to understand how everything's working before going down that bespoke route or just going straight to bespoke. I just, I, I really like how those two services work together and meet the needs of your clients. Yeah. And people do book me for multiple days. They're like, you know, it just works for them and their business. And, you know, it just, it does allows me to understand a little bit more about their business so that I can talk intent intelligently around what the strategy could be because the book a day is definitely more implementation and strategy. Yes, I bring my experience to it, but it's definitely me, my fingers on the keyboard kind of thing where I'm building out the automations because I'm in there every day, all day long. And so what, you know, someone could find on YouTube or the platform's documentation and spend weeks on building they can get out of me in a day and then they get an end result document, which is a pretty lengthy document, but it's the English version of everything that's built, been built inside of their account so that they can know how to manage it moving forward. And it's just, it was one of those things that came out of, uh, I guess it, it came out of the, the pandemic is I was always working more custom projects, but when the pandemic hit and everybody locked got locked down or lost their job or whatever the case may be, their side hustle became more important. And we talked at the top on how important email was. A lot of people were like, I need to get some of this stuff going, <laughs> like, yeah. like in a yeah. way where I'm actually getting predictable income. So I just, I had a conversation with my wife and I said, I'm getting more leads into my business, but they're, they're not qualified. <laughs> I just can't get them the ROI that they're going to spend on a project with me. She said, well, can you help them? I said, yeah, everything that I do, I could help them. It's just, you know, there's not alignment because they're, they're not getting enough traffic or, you know, they're not spending on ads. They're not growing fast enough. But, you know, I could certainly help them. But it's just not valuable enough, quick enough for them to, you know, buy in. And she said, well, can you do something to make it valuable to them. And I was like, well, I've heard about these kind of like VIP type days where people hire somebody for a day and build a website. I was like, I probably can do that same thing. And so that was born out of that. And it's been awesome. I mean, people just come in and book me for the day. I learn a lot about, you know, the businesses I've had everywhere from TV coaches to nutritionists to, you know, coaches and digital course creators that were designers or developers beforehand. So it's uh, fun meeting all of these kind of people as well. And I'll just say like there is immense value that comes for uh, your clients when you work across so many different accounts and see what's working, what's not working. I think it's one thing for someone to have an idea of how it works across three accounts and another for someone to have an idea of how it works across hundreds of accounts. So you're just able to move faster, more strategically, plus your developer background um, is just a natural um, fit for, let me build out these custom segmented campaigns and then translate them for you in plain English. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, that's one of the, I mean, I had to put it as like a testimonial on my website and I had somebody say, it's amazing how your brain works. Like, but, but in my head, like all of the automation, being able to connect the dots of systems has always been, <laughs> it's always worked well, but you know, I, I am empathetic that that's not the case for everyone, but for me, it works. And so what I've always had a natural inclination for is being able to take the geek speak or the techno mumbo jumbo kind of thing and translating into human right? and being able to do that backwards and forwards. You know, I was told very young in my career by a director that he said, you're um, an amazing technical liaison. I had no idea what that meant at the time. <laughs> I was like, all right, sure, you know, whatever. But he, he, you know, he kind of nurtured that a little bit more by having me in sales meetings and hearing, you know, 
just kind of saying, hey, just sit here and listen for a little while and then I'll come back to you later and talk to you about this. But it was like me, you know, salespeople would talk and promise things that were technically not able to be done Mm -hmm. or something like that. And so I'm able to marry the tech with the human from not just the business perspective, but for the business customers. And that's more important to the business usually. And that just, you know, it drives revenue, creates the relationships. It makes the business and brands look better. I love that. And you hinted at this earlier when you talked about your origin story for the book a day service. But let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they're wondering like, is my business ready for Jason? Is my list large enough? Is there any sort of milestone or list size that you think a business needs before they should seek out your services? Any list size. I, I'm like, if you've, I look at, you know, tiny list is just another four letter word for me. And I've seen lists that have a thousand people make six figures. And then I've seen six figure size lists make only five figures. It really depends on the level of engagement of your subscribers. But if you have an offer that has converted before, then let's have a conversation. Um, because, and that offer could be anything. It could be your services. It could be a program. It could be a product that you have. If you've gone through the process of actually making some sales, then that's the milestone to kind of key in on for you to take that next step and dive into email marketing or have a conversation with me and see how we can move forward. That's really the only milestone that I'm looking for. Beautiful. It's very inclusive to <laughs> to most businesses. And I'll just say, like I saw this trend during the pandemic too, a lot of perhaps offline businesses who had been used to offline channels, foot traffic, et cetera, all of a sudden realize, oh shoot, I need another way to reach people virtually. And I think email is a natural extension of that. Yeah, because everybody has an email list. <laughs> like, I mean, even if you don't do email marketing, you are emailing every day, right? Like you email your customers, you email leads, like it, everybody has an email list whether you like to think of it or not. And, you know, like you mentioned, offline, right? Like my neighbor across the street, he's a home contractor. He does kitchens and baths and he's very good at what he does. But when the pandemic locked down, he was like, all right, well, now I'm not allowed in anybody's houses anymore, right? And so he adapted though. And, you know, he went out and he, you know, wanted to keep his his employees employed. And, you know, he basically turned and created a sanitization uh, business out of it. Wow. And he was like, how do you know, he's like, I know, you know, email, like, how do you, how do we do this thing? And so I just helped him. I said, look, you know, you have a list of home contractors, but you also have a list of probably commercial people in there. And so if you could figure out who's who, then there's your first sales. <laughs> I mean, that it's as simple as that. And so he went and he was a hustler and he just emailed like, I think it was like 45 or 55 people. And he started that snowball effect of going downhill and getting his name out there as doing that instead of what he was known for for the past 30 years. And so, um, you know, it's that simple, right? Like you, you have a list if you, if you just, you know, if you're doing business, you have a list. I love that. And you mentioned that you work in primarily in drip active campaign and convert kit, but you can consult on other platforms. And I'm assuming, but I might be wrong, but that's primarily due to the nature of automation features that are available in those three platforms. Is that right? Yeah. I'm familiar with those three platforms. So I implement, I can implement on there, but all platforms keep, you know, Clavio, they're all very, very similar. It's just a matter of the, the syntax, for lack of a better term, right? Like how you get those platforms to implement the philosophy and the methods that you want. And so that's why I consult on just about every platform that you have out there. It's just if you want me to get into the weeds and actually implement what we're talking about, those are the three platforms that I focus on. Love that. And sometimes I find and I don't know what your experience is, but sometimes people stay on platforms like MailChimp 
for, in my opinion, longer than they should because they find it easy to use and they get overwhelmed by like moving to active campaign or convert kit, but there's often more they can more juice they can squeeze out of their email list if they're on a different platform where those automation features are available and easier to implement. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people actually hire me for the book of days to move them from another platform. And yeah, I mean, it's just limiting, like, you know, Constant Contact, Aweber, you know, like MailChimp and Aweber are trying to turn the Titanic, right? Like, I mean, they've been around for a long time. And you know, for them to try to adapt to modern day email marketing is tough because they just have the infrastructure already as what they are. So to be able to move that is hard. I mean, I, I, I give them credit for what they try to add into it, but list based platforms just don't work anymore. And that's just, that's just the model that they have is where you sign up to an email list. Even if that's their level of segmentation, whereas yes. ConvertKit and Drip use tag based, where you know you you have one email address and you have tags that you know you signed up for eight lead magnets, you have eight different tags, and so yeah, I mean I'm empathetic to the, those people with the the Mailchimp's and so on and so forth, but yeah, you'll get a lot more out of your email marketing when you have a platform that helps support the business and grow with you. Hundred percent. I was just thinking about a client who used to be on constant contact and they had a list of about 3000. Anyways, this was maybe four years ago. Anyways, they're now on drip. They have a list of size of 45,000 and emails now responsible for 60 to 80% of their revenue because we're able to do so much more in drip and because we're able to segment and because we're able to send the right message to the right person at the right time, if you will, versus constant contact was my worst nightmare. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> we can't do anything in here. But I think for anyone who's listening to think about, should I chat with Jason about, am I on the right tech based on where I'm in, am in business and what we want our email list to do in terms of driving revenue or driving book sales calls or driving webinar registrations or driving course sales, whatever it is that you're selling. Um, I think that's a really unique way to use that book a day as well. Migrations are, in my opinion, and I'll let Jason speak to this, but super tricky. They can go wrong if someone doesn't have the knowledge um, of how to migrate something effectively over. And it's often an opportunity to clean up any mess that's happening in the account when you move everyone over. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit for us, Jason. Yeah, I 100% agree. And even the platforms that you're going to often will have some, like, I mean, they want you over there. So they'll, you know, they'll do migrations sometimes for free, but you're going to get an apples to apples, right? And yep. they're just basically going to pull your list over um, and then maybe make some forms for you if that's the case. But they're not going to integrate it into your site. They're not going to do any of that kind of stuff, you know, into your tool tools, right? If you use Calendly or some booking application that also drives emails into your list, they're not going to do those integrations. So that's what I help. I have a massive list checklist that I send out to anybody that does a migration with me, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't even think about these things." And you don't, you know, that's kind of why, why I'm here, right? Uh, I've been down this road more times than I can count. Migrations to me are not fun. <laughs> they're not no, fun. Whether no. they're mine, somebody else's, it doesn't matter. They're not fun. But when you tick all the boxes and you're just very methodical about it, you know, they, it, it definitely allows you that clean slate. Like you put it, like you're going to not carry over some things that you don't need carry over anymore. And, I'll help you kind of work through that as well. Yeah, and the best tech is tech you use. And when, <laughs> right. when tech isn't, it's too messy or too confusing for your team to use. Like once once Jason's no longer in your account, then it can feel very like a very expensive piece of software that you don't use often enough. So I think having someone help you spearhead the migration in a way that makes it easy to use ongoing is really important. Not to mention there's a lot of deliverability considerations when you move from one platform to another. So yeah, I didn't want to scare anybody with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there is. I mean, you definitely need to kind of 
book, I call, I call it bookending the migration. Like you got to let the people know before you move with an email that you're moving and then let the people know that you've moved to the same location, like to a new, new location. I, I, you know, it's basically like sending that postcard when you move house and to all your friends and family to update their address book, right? Like you kind of have to do that in a way where people are expecting that because when you move the internet, the tech, the, the pipeline that you have sent is now different. And so the internet kind of starts being like, whoa, 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 wait, you've been sending over here from this IP and this server for years. Now who's this person over here? Right. And so there's definitely some tactics about warming the list and things like that when you do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely another box to tick in the consideration of migrating. Yeah. So just like I'm trying to think. Like, have you ever hired chief help for like a home project or you've gone with the lowest bid and then after you get into it, you're like, shoot, this was way more complicated than I expected. Things are going wrong. I I should have gone with that other person. Like, that's what I think about when I think about migrations is it's not something to cut corners on because the whole point of sending emails is making sure they get in people's inboxes. So you want to do it right when you move. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. You forget all the automation and everything else. If you're not getting your your message in an inbox, it doesn't matter. Totally. So, Jason, I'd love for you, because I know some of this story, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners kind of what inspired you to start your business and how long ago that was. Yeah. So it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess for the second time in 2010, I had started a small sprint of almost two years in the early 2000s when I struck out on my own because I was laid off from the result of working at a consultant firm that put all their eggs in the startup basket. And so when the dot-com bubble bursted, you know, the the company that I was working for basically just paired back to their core status, you know, their core services at that point. And I said, well, hey, I'm a web developer. I've got a skill. I can do this thing. And for about 18 to 20 months, like I was like, okay, there's a lot about business. I don't know. <laughs> like sales, <laughs> customer relationships, like all of the kind of soft skills that most developers don't have and don't want to have. Right. And so I went back to work, you know, to work at somebody else's desk with the intention of starting out again. And that happened in 2010. And I, you know, I haven't looked back since, but that was all because I wanted the freedom and flexibility of my own time. You know, I knew at a very young age and this predates the internet when I was working at a fabric store as a stock boy and sitting on the floor organizing zippers of all things. And saying to myself, I did not want to live the rest of my life dreading waking up every morning and going to a job that I did not like. And I did not like the stock boy job that I was at. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what teenage boy wants to work in a fabric store, right? Like, that's just not fun. Like, at that point in time, I'd much rather work at like a music store or something, you know, something that was at least interesting. But as I went into college and things of that nature, I knew that I, you know, when I wanted to have a family, which wasn't on the radar at that point, I wanted that time freedom. I wanted to be able to, you know, see my kids grow up. I wanted to be there, you know, to hear their first words and see the first steps and all of that kind of stuff. And just be able to like take off on a random Tuesday afternoon because it's nice and not have to ask permission for it. So that's what always has been like my North Star for the business is you know, how do I make that happen? And, you know, in 2010, that's when I said, you know, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was working full time, driving sometimes two hours a day to commute, you know, living in New York. So, you know, traffic, like you can go five miles, it'll take you two hours to do it. You know, and I was like, all right, I'm going into work at eight o'clock, coming home at five. I'm working from 7 p.m. till 3. And it got to a point where it was like, yeah, I got to sleep sometime, you know? So I just said, all right, this is it. You know, I said in January of 2010 that by my birthday, which was in September, that that's the gift I'm going to give myself to quit. And 
I did it in August. <laughs> and, you know, that was like, you know, it was great. I mean, for me, it was like, all right, I'm not looking back now. This is, I, I feel like I've got the skills. I can always go back and get another job because I've done it before, but this is the time. And so I did that and I haven't looked back since. And now I have a beautiful wife and two young boys. And I realized that dream that I had so long ago that, you know, I, when our firstborn, who's now five, was in the, we were taking him home from the hospital. That was like, I was like, I realized my dream. It's in the backseat. And now I'm able to be home and live the life that I, I want to live. And so that's why I started the business in the first place. Wow. I just got chills listening to that whole thing. <laughs> and just the fact that you knew from such a young age how important your time was to you, I find very wise behind beyond your years. Meaning I hear a lot of people say that once they have kids, but I don't hear a lot of people say that pre-kids, if that makes sense. Like kids are like their milestone for okay, my time is more precious to me. I want to be home for these special moments. I want to be around. But for you to know at age 14, 15, 16, whenever it was you were working in the fabric store, I just think is really um, special, to be honest. Yeah, thanks. I mean, for me, it was like, I mean, my parents went through a very, very messy divorce. I don't even have a relationship with my biological father right now. And it was just something that like, I said to myself that I, I don't want to follow those footsteps and whatever that meant, right? Like, you know, and at, you know, I mean, I'm in my early forties now. So it's like in every decade that has kind of shifted like, Oh yeah, I remember this and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, at that point in time, it was like, I, he was a workaholic and I never really saw much of him other than maybe on the weekends and stuff. Like he was the coach of my baseball team, but I was like, I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to know that I'm there and that I'm present and doing the things that I say I'm going to do. And so at that time, when I was a teenager, that that was pretty much the reason. I just didn't want to follow in footsteps. Um, I wanted to kind of carve my own footsteps. Wow, that's so powerful. And I personally love all your posts, um, <laughs> seeing all the stuff you're doing with your kids and all the milestones they're hitting. And um, kind of, I don't know, knowing that story makes it even more powerful and impactful, you know, just knowing that you're doing things a little different than what you experienced. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. And and if you join my newsletter, you'll see my oldest son right off the bat. So <laughs> I'm not shy about <laughs> exactly. sharing the stories there. So, yeah. Exactly. It's a great example of that human touch at scale, if anyone wants to see Jason's words in action. So plus coming full circle, the work you allow you do for your clients allows them to have more time because email is uh, generating more revenue or sales appointments or whatever their business goal is. So I just think it's a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's really what it is, because I'm just I'm a, a, my own case study. I like email allows me to not worry, have not worry about launches and campaigns and things like that because I do have email automation doing that for me on a random Tuesday afternoon when I'm outside in the backyard. So yeah, that's why, that's why at the top when you described who I was and what I do. Yeah. So that you can live a life of your own design. Love it. So Jason, part of the reason why this podcast exists is so that um, other business owners and other industries can learn a little bit from what you're doing. So I just thought we could take a couple minutes to talk a little bit about how your business gets in front of new people and what strategies are working for you right now. Yeah, for me, I, like, you know, and I mentioned ConvertKit Drip and Active Campaign, right? For me, my business has always been sort of hitching the ride to a tool. Um, and because I'm a developer, because I'm not that one individual that is going to do the cold calling and knocking on doors and things of that nature, I kind of had to lean into my strengths to say, okay, if they've got customers and I can help those customers, they're not going to do the custom work that their customers want, but I can. And so if I make it known to those platforms, that I do the work that their support teams aren't going to do, 
then I have a, a constant pipeline of customers coming in. And I know that they're qualified. I know because they're using the platforms. I know that they are paying for the platforms. And I know what I can do on the platform to deliver on what they need. And so for me, that's that kind of sales pipeline, that lead generation pipeline has always been about trying to get in front of audiences that use those kind of tools. Um, and I learned that, I would say, I guess now probably eight, nine years ago when I first did a live training for a WordPress plugin. And then people came with, to me afterwards and was like, hey, what you talked about, can you do that for me? And that was like, oh, here's the unlock, right? Like life achievement <laughs> kind of thing. I was like, so for me, it's, it's about getting in front of the right audience, knowing that they're using the tools. So they're almost pre-qualified at some level yep. before I even talk to them. I just think it's so smart because as a small business, when, well, really any size business, but when you're strapped for team time, other resources, how can you speed up that sales process? How can you get in front of more qualified people with just one hour or 20 minutes or whatever it is? I just think that's a really smart strategy for you and anyone else who's listening. Someone else has your customers too and is serving them in a complimentary way. So maybe it's not the same as Jason where there's a tool or a piece of software, but maybe there's something else that could be a great audience for you to tap into. And it's also a win for your partners because they want people to keep using their tools and get more and more embedded in their tools. So I just really love the alignment that happens between that kind of strategic partnership, if you will. Yeah. And the this was more prevalent probably a decade ago where they had like VIP lists or preferred consultants or whatever the case may be. And I, I would try to always get on those lists with whatever criteria that, you know, the platform, the software, the vendor had. But to kind of, and sometimes that's paid. That's a paid thing. You have to go through a program or something like that. The one thing that I actually learned totally by accident was that if I'm in the, 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 the platforms, there's going to be times where I'm talking to tech support and, you know, or talking with their engineering team or their sales team or something like that. Frustrated, like to the T often. But creating this relationship with those individuals that are fielding those calls and handling customer requests and all of that kind of thing with like the most like coming there with empathy in one hand and humility in the other hand and just creating those relationships. And there was a time, you know, on one platform, they were, they were going through a lot of problems. And I actually started to get to know on a first name basis through a chat widget, some of the technical support team. Um, and they would refer me work because they were fielding those chat requests and they were like, Oh, who you need to go to is Jason. Right? Like he, we can't really help you with that, but he's one that you can do that. And I would always ask leads that would get farther down the funnel with me. It's was like, I'm just kind of curious how you got my name. And they would tell me, um, yeah, that tech support or, you know, this sales engineer told me or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so a little pro tip on that not just getting in front of their audiences, but actually building the relationships inside of those uh, companies as well. I love that tip. I think it's so smart. It was totally unintentional, but <laughs> I wound up, you know, closing the loop. You know, I wound up, I'm like, oh, oh that's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't think about that before. Well, and by the way, that is a job. I think people who work those customer support, tech support jobs are saints, but that is a job where you really stand out if you are providing solutions, being empathetic, um, understanding where there's gaps. Most of those tech support help aren't fielding like the nicest, right. <laughs> the nicest questions or experience. <laughs> so I think it's probably not, and not to diminish the work you've done, Jason, but probably easier to stand out there than you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the case. Like most of the time they're probably fielding very angry people. <laughs> yeah. 
there's yeah. probably a few choice words flying around and all that. <laughs> and then when you come at them with like, you know, ice cream, you know, and pleases and thank yous, like, you know, they're, they're like, Hey, this made my day, you know? So, you know, it just, it's, it's about people. I mean, when a bottom line, it comes down to about people. Um, and that was one of the soft skills that, you know, I had to learn. It was, you know, when I worked in a cube and I was in my early twenties and like, I was not the, the most, uh, enjoyable people person. <laughs> so, and I was told such. And I was, I was kind of yeah. like, you know, I'm a New Yorker and uh, my personality is uh, as it is. And, but you know, in business, you have to be, you know, somewhat of a people person. So totally. I have a client who likes to say like, if you want to make more money, you have to learn to get along with people. Cause who do you think provides the money? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it doesn't just happen by being a, you know, a hole. So anyways, so you also, I know this isn't your, or I suspect this isn't your primary source of new business, but you also recently wrote on your newsletter, which is another reason to get on Jason's list about your new approach to Twitter and how you're using that to get in front of some new people or new audiences. Yes. So uh, Twitter has always been the social platform that actually felt right to me, I guess, whether it's just like a quick sentence or two to be able to, you know, communicate with people. Um, and it's asynchronous, right? Like you don't have to be there to, to, to do it. So, but I was never intentional on it. Like it was always kind of like fleeting thoughts or sharing some, you know, something that I'm working on or whatever the case may be. But last, last winter, I was like, okay, I'm going to go all in on Twitter because that's where I built a lot of my network from. But if I'm really intentional about using Twitter and sharing client wins, sharing, you know, even how to tutorials in ConvertKit on Twitter in ways that help people. Let me see how that affects the business with the goal of driving email signups. You know, it wasn't the goal to try to get more followers, even though that that's probably like the plan, the goal, the B goal, I guess, because the more followers you have, the more likely you're going to get an email signup. But the goal was simply to do email. Yeah, to grow the email list and really grow the email list with client conversion in mind. And so I've done that, like it just being more intentional about what I'm working on, what I've found, how, what's working in my business or what's not working insights that I've gathered. I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, the book of days and having, you know, being inside of accounts and things like that. You know, just being able to run some numbers and be like, hey, look, you know, 30% of people that opt into a double opt-in form get stuck into purgatory. And this is over the, across multiple industries, 115, 116 forms. So this is not a isolated case. How do we fix this? Right. So just being able to share that stuff, that, that attracts the kind of people that I want to work with and the, the kind of people that I want to be around. And Twitter has grown the list significantly and has, I mean, I've worked on multiple projects straight out of DMs from Twitter, but just being hyper specific around, Hey, I want somebody to sign up to my newsletter on Twitter helps with the focus of what I'm trying to do over there. So it's, you know, I, we talked at the top, like not being not spending a ton of time on Twitter um, or social media in general, but I carve out my days. So Monday morning, I schedule out tweets for the week and then I just engage, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes every day at the end of the day when, you know, I'm kind of closing up shop. So, you know, it's very intentional. I'm not on there throughout the, the entire day waiting for a tweet to come or anything like that. But just looking at the numbers and the email list growth, it's been super impactful. And I'm going to try, I try different tactics usually every month. And so August is coming up and I'm going to try something new, new there as well. So if you want to follow me on Twitter and try to reverse engineer what I'm doing, it's not exactly rocket science, but if you're trying to grow your email list, you might want to come pay attention a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've linked um, Jason's, 
Twitter uh, in the show notes, as well as his website where you can sign up for his email list. I find you will get even more insight into what Jason's doing if you're on his newsletter as well. So highly recommend joining that. So Jason, a couple other things I want to ask you about. Um, I know you qualify leads a few different ways, a uh, salesperson campaign. You also um, have some sales calls with people, but you also uh, introduced something else new recently, kind of this introductory call. And I think it would be really fascinating for some of our listeners to hear a little more about that. Yeah. For a long time, <clears throat> when I started my business, I gave free calls. They weren't structured or anything. It was more like, I feel like it was at least an hour. And I gave away a lot. But it was a free call and I felt like, hey, this is part of the sales process, right? Like I have to do these things. But I found a lot of time wasted with it. Not just the hour on the call, but like ramping up for the call and coming back down from the call. And, you know, by the time like a half afternoon is done or a morning is done just because there's one call. So I eliminated those calls and put up a basically a project application and people had to fill that out in order to even continue the conversation. Right. Like basically a brick wall. But what happened was a lot of people would fill out that form and I would just disqualify them because, you know, for various different reasons, sometimes for good, but sometimes like they just didn't have the time to fill out the questions thorough enough, but I would disqualify them. So what I did was basically put out a 15 minute call. Uh, I call it an action taker call, but really what it is is the application is on there, and in order to book your 15 minutes, you have to fill out the application. But so it kind of fast tracks the application a little bit, right? They, even if they don't want to fill out the application thoroughly enough, uh, they're still booking the call. But on the call, I just ask very specific questions uh, and qualify them to move forward to book another 45-minute call. The goal is that. I basically, on the call, I come with the assumption that they are a good fit until I hear otherwise, where in the past, I would have looked at it the other way around. I would have said, I would have had to kind of, they would have had to say something to prove that they were a good fit. And it's worked surprisingly well, <laughs> because when I come with that perspective of, you know, they are a good fit until they say otherwise. It allows me the option to say, all right, we can book like a one hour console call, which is a paid call, or we can go to the book a day, or let's schedule a 45 minute call and we can talk deeper for your custom project. It gives me the flexibility at the end to kind of give them the offer that's best fit for them. Because really, when somebody is just shopping around, they're not sure what they really need from you. And they're not really sure which option to go with. And... They might not want to fill out, you know, hey, what their number one goal is for this project 12 months from now. Right? Like, like, yeah, more sales. Yeah, of course, everybody <laughs> wants more sales. Right? Like, I mean, who doesn't? But they might not want to give up too much information on a project form. And this call allows me to ask why and why and why and why on several points that I need to know so that I can give them the proper help. And the idea of that 15-minute call is just that, is they came to my desk. I want to direct them in a, in, in a better place, whether that's working with me or for somebody, or with somebody else. Uh, and so that action taker call is just, it's been great because I, basically everybody that, I would say 85% of the people that have booked that next call from that has turned into a client. And I would say a good portion of those people I probably would have declined if it was just a project application. Those are some insane numbers. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think part of why it works so well, one, you've reduced friction up front and whether we like it or not, we live in an instant gratification society. And sometimes people just aren't ready to do the work of answering a bunch of questions. But two, you also have those additional offers that allows you to serve more than just the custom bespoke client in a way that works for your business. Meaning there's not just one place to send them, but you can do an hour call, you can do a full day or, you know, whatever the next step is. And I think that just allows people to make decisions more quickly because sometimes you just want to talk to someone <laughs> right. before you make exactly. that, take that next step. 
Yeah. And, and the other side of it is, is that I start to hear the problems that people have, right? Like, so at a bare minimum, I'm getting marketing headlines, right? Like things that I can talk about, like, you know, when iOS dropped, oh man, the number of calls that got booked were insane because people worried that they were never going to get their email delivered again and be able to track everything. So it, it allows you as a business owner to hear actually from their voice what they are concerned about and what problems they have and what challenges they have. And that's been super helpful as well. I love that. So how do you nurture those people, Jason, that aren't quite ready to move forward with you, but still need some time or more information before they can make the next, the next, before they can take the next step or make a a buying decision? Yeah. I, at a bare minimum, they're going to get my newsletter, (laughs) (laughs) which I, you know, I have a newsletter that it's called evergreen, which goes out six times a week where Monday through Friday, it's more of a story based email and Saturday is more of it. There is a story based actionable email in there, but it's also curated uh, links and articles and things of that nature too. It's more of a newsletter. Now, I know that nobody, you know, there are a handful of people that don't want email six times a week. So you could throttle it back to just getting a Saturday email. But through that, I know based on the conversation that I had, what their interest is. Is it segmentation? Is it list growth? Is it a migration? And based off of that, the newsletter changes accordingly, right? So the calls to action in there, the, you know, the content that they actually get is more centered around their issues or their problems or what they're interested in. And that helps with nurturing them further because they're getting questions answered. They're getting education, but they also reply to these emails to me. They're like, Oh, so how do I do that in ConvertKit? Oh, okay. Well, I have a YouTube video on it and here's my YouTube channel and they go there. And so it further positions me as somebody that they can one trust, but two know that I have the experience to help them if they want to. Right. So if budget or whatever the case may be is an issue right now, it, you know, the seven, 10, 15 times that they see that I can help them, they're going to say, you know what? Let me sign up for that book a day. It makes total sense to me to at least invest in that and then maybe a larger project down the road. And that's exactly what really unfolds. You know, people that go on my list, they will book, you know, sometimes they just cold book the one hour call and then come back six months later for a bespoke project, right? Because they're on the list and they're getting the emails and they say, Hey, remember when we talked about this? Well, I want to do that now. And we tried, we gave it our best attempt, but you seem to have a process and a flow with this. Let's go ahead and do this. And so that's how I just further nurture people. I, you know, just by talking about the same things that I talk about that, you know, regardless of the type of business they are, email marketing works the same way. So all through email, not surprisingly, is the nurturing. Yeah. Very meta. And, um, Jason's newsletters are his, you know, the opposite of a case of the cobbler shoes. And, and that I think, um, you really showcase all the amazing segmentation and um, personalization and salesperson campaigns that you can do because it's happening in your own email marketing. So I just really love your newsletter. I've also included a link to that in the show notes. So make sure to check it out. And Jason, I really appreciate your generosity um, of information that you've shared today. And I just am curious if you had to give one piece of advice to another business owner who's working on their marketing and growing their business, what would it be? Just, uh, I mean, that to be honest with you, that was the biggest regret in my own business where I didn't start early enough. And, but yeah, <laughs> history is hindsight. Hindsight is 2020, right? And so for me, it's like, if there's one thing to do is to get a formal ESP, plenty of places have free free plans, start emailing people. That's it. Well, that simple to the point. And um, now someone just has to take action if they're listening. So thank you, Jason, so much. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your business and your services? Yeah, uh, you can go to nurturekit.co and you'll find 
everything that I talked about there. But if you're interested in the uh, salesperson campaign, whether you are on ConvertKit or not, I have a link that I'll send uh, to Lauren and she can go ahead and drop that in the show notes and just opt in straight there. Um, and you'll get the salesperson campaign as a template. You can just fill in the blanks and use it at will. Oh my gosh. If you don't jump on that right now, <laughs> as you're listening, like plug and play into your own business. I just think that's so awesome and such an amazing gift for our listeners. So thank you, Jason. Thank you for sending them, <laughs> for sending uh, me that link, which is in the show notes. So really appreciate your time today and uh, check Jason out. Heck yeah. You just finished another episode of the Marketing That Generates podcast. I hope you found a few takeaways that you can put into action right away. If you want more on today's episode, head over to marketingthatgenerates.com for show notes, links, bonus resources, and related episodes. Plus, if you're looking to connect with other amazing business owners just like you, be sure to join our free monthly marketing chats. You can get all the details at marketingthatgenerates.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you back here for the next episode.